0: Church and good morning, friends of West Side. So excited that everyone's here today. So, we are, have been involved in kind of a series this year. It's called Discover. Um, that's kind of why our background is the way it is. We have t- been talking about just, we started off talking about the Word of God actually and just how amazing this Word is and how it has, you know, lasted for Thousands and thousands of years. There's no other writing that's got as ancient as this. And not only is it ancient, but uh, everything in it is so completely reliable. And that's why we know that it is the infallible word of God. You know, we can trust it. And so we started off there just talking about that. It's, it's It's a light into my path, so to speak. Uh, That kind of led us through just talking about this path that we kind of have represented back here, but just a path of life, and we've gone through a whole lot of different ideas about this path. Last week, we were just talking about Jesus, you know, and, and Palm Sunday as he was on... The Mount of Olives looking down upon Jerusalem, actually uh, kind of across because Jerusalem's on a mountain as well, but across this valley and just looking at all the different things that he knows is coming, like where he's going to be arrested, where, you know, the Garden of Gethsemane to the right and across the way where they would uh, beat him and try him, the courts and on up the hill from that, uh, where he would eventually be hung on a cross and so he saw all that, and he could have, you know, just uh, uh, went the other way, uh, chose a different path, you know, chose a path of comfort, chose a path of um, uh, control, and start controlling his own destiny, so to speak. But he did not. He stayed on the path that God had for him and the reason he came, and that's what we were talking about. So this, this week, I would like for us to kind of just. Uh, continue this conversation, only look at it more from the angle of what's the rest of us going to do? What's the disciples going to do? Because he chose the path that he chose, and he's asking everybody else to follow him. But we all have to decide, do we want to? Because we know, just like he knew where his path was leading, we know where this path leads to. Uh, and so it's just, a, it's just a decision that we have to make. You know, Jesus taught some really crazy things just before he was crucified, uh, before the, his resurrection, which is why we're here to celebrate. But he, he taught some crazy things. He said things that intentionally just made people feel super uncomfortable. It intentionally kind of divided groups of people, you know, where some went this way and some went this way. And it just began to bring all kinds of these uncomfortable remarks. They often force people to make a choice which way they're going to go the rest of their life, you know, how they're going to spend it. He was a shepherd, and he shows up to just start calling his sheep. And and so people have to make a decision. Do I want to be his sheep? Do I want to follow this shepherd? And so who was going to be all in? That's what Jesus came to do is to find out who's going to be all in, who wants to follow him. And so he's looking for followers that are totally commitment, committed, but it makes sense because he's a revolutionist, right? I mean, he come to do, turn this world upside down and to completely change the direction that people were going. He was calling them to something that was incredibly amazing, but also incredibly tough. Uh, and so he, he was a revolutionist who just wanted to call people to follow him. But he would say crazy things. This is one of the things, just an example of something crazy he said in Luke chapter 14, verse 26. It says, it says, If anyone comes, this is what Jesus said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, if we were to take that literal, we would be like, You're a little bit arrogant, aren't you? I mean, you're literally wanting me to abandon my family. You want me to, you know, leave the one who birthed me. I am totally committed to these people. You know, I stood up on an altar and said, death do us part. We talked about that this morning, actually. And now you're saying that it's them or you? And it would have been pretty radical, don't you think? I bet that caused some people to react. Try to explain it away or try to change what he was really saying. I don't know, but. He said crazy things like this. You know, a woman one time came to him, and she had a very, very sick daughter. In fact, she was just barely hanging on. And you, if you were a mother or a father, you would have known how desperate that would have felt and how horrible that would have been. And you would have been looking for anything that you could do to fix or change that. And when you heard about this man, this has been like your last-ditch effort, but you go to this Jesus who is the miracle worker, right, and you beg him to help you. Now, from what we know about Jesus, we would think that it just says, the Scripture would just say, he had compassion, and he just healed her right where she was, right wherever she lay. But this is actually what Jesus said to that woman. It says, he said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, she wasn't part of the house of Israel, so basically he's saying, woman, you have come to the wrong place. I don't have time to mess with this or you. But it doesn't change, you know, a desperate mom's plea when she knows that Jesus has the ability to do it. And it says that she came and she knelt before him and she begged him, Lord, help me. And you think that, well, that he would have saw, like, I see the faith. Your faith has healed you, right? But Jesus goes on and he says, it is not right to take a child's, Bread and throw it to the dogs. <laughs> you you realize what he just said there, right? He just called this woman a dog, and it's not appropriate even now. I can remember when I was in high school. Well, there was a, a saying that went around, you know, like, "Man, she's as ugly as a right," and that wasn't appropriate. And you could get in a lot of trouble today if you were to say something like that in front of the wrong authority crowd. But, even if, but if you took it to where Jesus said it, Jesus said it to a group of people that didn't like, they didn't have pets, they didn't take pets to the doctor, they didn't take them to go get their shots or anything like that. Dogs then were about as lowly as you could get any living creature to be. Just go to Haiti and that'll be, help you understand. They laugh at us when we describe what we do with Dogs. I mean that we let them live in our homes, that we pay money upon money upon money to care for them, groom them, and you know, pay their bet bills. that, that is just crazy to them, and that would have been crazy to to the people in Jesus' day too. And so he literally calls this woman something that is as lowly as you can call a person. Jesus would have been fired today, would he not? He, he would have been rejected. He would have been crucified. <laughs> Wait a minute. He was crucified, wasn't he? By the crazy things that he said. He said some crazy things. One of the crazy things, and this is really where I'm wanting us to go today, is in John chapter 6. And if you have your Bibles, you want to turn there, you can. We'll have the scriptures up on the overhead here. But he says something that is so crazy I need to bring us into a little bit of context, and here's the quick version of the context. He's on the far side of uh, Sea Galilee around Tiberias, and he is teaching this crowd. There's this huge crowd that has gathered, over 5,000 men. I, I can't imagine how many women and children were there, and he's teaching all day long. He knows that they're wore out, and they're hungry, and he has compassion on them, and he wants to feed them. And so there's this miracle that takes place, and you know it. Out of just a few fish and, and five loaves of bread, he feeds the, the crowd of 5,000 people, and they have their fill. I mean, I, I can't imagine the talk and just the wow of that whole moment of just what he talked about and, and preached about, but just also how he fed them. And then Jesus, you know, leaves. He sends his disciples to get into the boat, go to the other side. And he departs and kind of hides out. The next thing you know, he's walking across water to his disciples. They get on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. They're in Capernaum now. And the crowd are looking for Jesus. I mean, they want to know where this guy goes. And and so they finally realize where he went. And they go over there to where Jesus was. And they begin to, you know, just flock to him. But the thing is, is that Jesus knows why they are drawn to him. And it's not what he wants because it's not, they're misunderstanding what he's really after. And he knows what they're after, and it's not aligning well. And this is what he says to them when he, they find him. It says in John chapter 6, verse 26, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, in other words, because you know who I am and where I come from and where I'm heading, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for food that is that will perish, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. And he just knows that they're just after this worldly thing. You know, just they they saw his signs and they realized how it's going to benefit them personally and physically, and they want all about that. So he begins to teach them about the bread of life, which is different than the bread of earth or the earthly bread, right? And he says something so crazy that it made people rethink about what they are really going to do with this Jesus. I want to read some of it to you in John chapter 6, verse 53. It says, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, Now, you and I, we understand what he's actually saying here since the resurrection has happened, right? Or do we? I I don't know if we really do understand. And I suppose that the reason I think God led me to this passage of Scripture for our resurrection passage, it's an odd place to be, is because I don't know if... We truly understand in light of the resurrection, looking back upon what Jesus says, that really could only be because of the resurrection. And I just want, I guess I just wanted to challenge you to think about what you think you might know. And I hope that you will see the connection that this has with the resurrection, because that's what we're here to celebrate. You see, when Jesus taught this concept, they would have thought, what? This guy's crazy. I mean, he wants he's wanting to us to he want he's wanting to sacrifice himself, and then he's wanting us to eat him. And when he's wanting us to drink his blood? Hey, pass me a Jesus finger there, Jonathan. Dude, have you tried his toes? They are awesome. Jesus knew that this is what they were thinking. I think that's what's kind of crazy, too. Or maybe cool. It depends on, you know, your your mentality. Is that he knew that this is what they were thinking, and he was okay with them thinking this way. He doesn't try to change their thinking. And it kind of makes you wonder, like, Why? I mean, they visualize this like he's, he's going to offer himself. And this is to a group of people that would have understood what a sacrifice was, right? A burnt offering where you literally stick the thing up on an altar and you fry it. And they would have understood that sometimes you take that offering down and instead of wasting it, you go eat it. And they would have understood that. And Jesus is painting this picture in their head. Why would Jesus teach like this if this isn't really what he was literally meaning? Well, here's what I think, and that is because he was really wanting to get a reaction from them. He really wanted to put this in their head. He really meant it. (laughs) That's kind of confusing, isn't it? Did he really mean it? I think he did. Let me tell you some words that Jesus hates. These are some words that, like, he, he literally despises. Mediocrity, mediocrity, being mediocre, being lukewarm, being half-hearted. You know that the Bible tells us in Revelation that if any of his followers are lukewarm, he's going to spew them out of his mouth. That's how much he does, doesn't like those words. But that makes sense if you're thinking about a revolutionist, right? Because revolutionists do not have time to mess with people that are half-hearted or lukewarm that are just kind of in it for just what they can get out of it. And so when Jesus has a whole crowd come to him and he knows that the reason they're there is just for what they get out of it and they don't have his mission or what he's trying, his vision or what he's trying to accomplish in this world, he's just got to start separating goats from the sheep, so to speak because he knows that the sheep are going to carry the message and the goats are just going to get in the way. And so it seems like that's what he's doing here. And he really was by, you know, by what we know, he really was meaning it that he was going to be a sacrifice, that he was going to be an offering, that he was literally going to be on the cross. And he wasn't forced upon the cross. They didn't take him to the cross. He allowed them to take him to the cross. And there's a totally difference in that right there, isn't there? That it was Jesus' idea. And that he is the one who orchestrated that whole sacrifice thing in the first place. And as far as the blood and the eating of his body, (laughs) guess what we're going to do here in just a little bit? It was all his idea, and he did mean it literal. You see, the commitment he is looking for would require the same thing, the way we carry it out today, as if we would have took him literal, and they would have taken him literal, because they would have had to really decide if do we really want to follow this guy with what he's asking us to do. Jesus knew that it would really be a divider, you know, of the crowd. And that probably he would thin the crowd so much that there wouldn't be hardly anybody left. That sure is a different mentality and approach for a preacher today, isn't it? I mean, the last thing a preacher wants to do today is thin the crowd. All we do is spend our time trying to figure out how to grow the crowd and get the crowd bigger. And here Jesus, when he gets a big crowd, he just starts chasing them off. What kind of commitment would it take? Because Jesus knew what he put in their head, and he intentionally did so. What kind of group of people would have literally walked away that day saying, hey, I'll be right back. I'm going to go sharpen my knife and grab my fork. I don't know. I mean, I think here's what, here's what I'm trying to get at. Here's what I really think Jesus is trying to get at. How do you know someone is really committed to an idea or a movement? How do you know? We see it all around us all the time. And how do we know that they are like, man, those people are committed? You see, Jesus came to turn the world upside down, he, to start a revolution. And you can't do this unless the you've got people following you that have the same idea, that have accepted the same challenge. So how do you know someone is really committed to an idea or movement? It's simply this. They do stupid stuff. <laughs> I mean, they do really insane stuff. They always cross the line, or at least they're the ones drawing a line and say, I dare you to cross this. They're the ones who are doing the unthinkable. They're the ones who are doing the impossible. They don't hesitate, or if they do hesitate, it's just a moment, and then they're just all in. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was one of those people. He was a German pastor who, who was against the anti Nazi persecution and, and, you know, just destroying lives upon lives. And he spoke out against it. They put him in prison for it. A year and a half later, they hung him. But he had enough courage to be all in. And he knew, he knew that committing and being all in with this movement, this idea, he knew what it was going to cost him. Do you think Martin Luther King Jr. knew what it was going to cost him to be radical? He knew. He had so many life threats, you know, death threats. But he knew because he had a dream. He had an idea, a movement. And he was willing to risk it all. And we could list, oh my goodness, could we not list just list after list after list of people that are like this? Yet, even though we could list list after list after list, it really is just a minority of people that are like this, aren't they? I mean, it, it's not a real big crowd. And it's also, it's not just people that we agree with that are like this. What kind of mentality would it have taken for people to hijack planes and drive them into buildings? Radical people. People that are radically behind an idea of movement. People like Jesus are calling people to be radical. And is it wrong for somebody who wants to start a movement, an idea, is it wrong to call people to be radical? I don't think so at all. No matter if they're for us or against this, I don't think it's wrong for them to call and expect this. But it is wrong for them to force people to follow them into their radical ideas or to lie to them about their radical ideas. You know, like Putin... That's wrong, obviously. And like the leaders of China, that's wrong, obviously. You saw some of the news that I saw this week. It's just crazy to, to, to expect people to be forced to do your radical ideas. But it isn't wrong for them to ask for followers to be all in if you want to follow. And, and to just say, hey, this is what I'm here to do. This is what I am going. This is the path that I'm taking. And I want you to follow me. But you don't have to. But for a radical person, they have to at least tell you what they're going, where they're going and what they're doing and what it's going to take if you do follow me. And Jesus definitely did this. He definitely communicated over and over and over what it would cost if you decide to follow me. And it was pretty radical, so he talked pretty radical. But it isn't, it isn't wrong to expect loyalty If you don't want to go, don't go. I remember when Jesus came upon this guy who, he was a a rich man. He He was a very educated man. And he came to Jesus, hey, I want eternal life and I heard you have it. And Jesus, and he says, how do I have it? And Jesus says, go sell all your, your possessions. I actually told him to go keep the Ten Commandments. And he says, well, I've done that since I was a boy. And Jesus says, go sell all your possessions and come follow me. And the word of God says that he went away sad that day. I don't know why he was sad, but literally what he did, decided to do is can't follow you. Because you're asking something too radical of me. And that's just not going to, I just, it's, I'm not going to be able to pay it. Back to our scripture in John chapter 6, verse 60, it tells us the conclusion of this after Jesus says, you're going to, I'm going to offer my body up and, as a sacrifice, and if you want any part of me, he literally says, if you want any part of me, you're going to have to eat me and drink my blood. And how did that go over? Well, let's look and see. In verse 60, it says, When many of his disciples heard it, many of his disciples, he had been doing this for a while now, and he had a lot of followers, not just the 12. There were a whole lot of people that have chosen to follow him down this path. They saw all the miracles. They saw, you know, his authority and his teaching. And many of his disciples heard it, and they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? cannibalism is a little far from me. But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, so it wasn't even the people on kind of the outside that were grumbling, but they said to them, do you take, so he said to them, do you take offense at this? Does it bother you that I said this? That you need to eat me and drink my blood? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. We're going to come back to that thought in just a minute. But that's an important thing for me just to at least highlight at this moment. That it is the Spirit who gives life. And it is the Spirit who is communicating here. okay. But hold that thought. But verse 64, it says, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. So Jesus already knew. Now think about this for a second. Jesus already knew who would not buy into this kind of thinking in this logic. He already knew who was going to walk away that day and who was going to be left behind. So why did he even bother dividing the goats and the sheep when he already knew who the sheep were and he knew who the goats were? Verse 65, it says, and he said, "'This is why I told you that no one can come to me "'unless it is granted by him by the Father.'" That's super insightful, right? That none of us here in this room, none of us in this room are actually going to be part of his kingdom unless he invites them, unless he draws them. It definitely starts making you think and look around like, hmm, are they in? Am I in? Who's in on this thing? After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Well, it wasn't his enemies that turned back. It was many of his disciples who thought that they were buying into this, all of a sudden changed their mind. It's hard to not think that Jesus was intentionally driving people away. Then in the crowd. And I think he really was. Verse 67, it says, so Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go as well? Now, just think about that for a second, because if they go, these 12, then he's got no one. And he's either starting all over, having to try to figure out who would actually follow him. Or he's just done and end of story. I have no followers. But it doesn't change what he says. I mean, it, you know what I mean? Like, I would be terrified if I was starting a movement and thinking that I was thinning the herd that much and I'm about to lose everything. But it says here in verse 67, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed And have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus answered him, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is the devil. Man, does he speak crazy things. And he spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. And Jesus knew that. Some people get it and some people don't but isn't that the way it is with pretty much everything in life my father-in-law he plays a guitar and, and he you know I, he's not like he's just taught himself but what's amazing to me and I, I never have been able to figure this out but he'll play you know whether it's over at the house or at camp because he used to play a lot at camp or when we're on vacation to Colorado around the campfire he gets out his guitar and we'll start singing songs and and he'll always get to where, you know, he'll take requests and he'll play a song from, you know, memory. And then sometimes he'll just even go crazier. He'll start just trying to pick out something and we're asking what he's thinking. Well, when I was a kid, I heard this song. And he's just picking. And they next thing you know, he's singing this song that nobody's heard. And he only heard when he was a kid. Maybe once. Now, Andy, he probably understands this. Matthew, he probably understands this. I don't understand this how do people do that I literally and I'm not being funny I would not be able to lead us in the songs we sang today and I've sung them many times there might be one or two songs I could sing all the way through there's a Hank Williams Jr. song that I finally learned as a high schooler because everybody's singing songs and I couldn't sing one all the way through so I sat there for like three days writing down the words and I finally got that one down But I don't understand that. I don't know what I'm missing. I like music, but I don't know what I'm missing, but I know that I'm missing something. And I really think that that's the whole thing of what Jesus is getting at here. Some are going to get it and some aren't. The ones who get it are the ones that Jesus, like, helps along. Wouldn't you hate to be the one that he doesn't help along? The one he has not chosen? I think he wants everyone. I think he came to rescue everyone. But there's something there, and I don't know that I understand it completely, but all I know is, oh, Lord, let me have ears to hear. Let me please be one that you have drawn to you. But Jesus knew who would get it and who wouldn't. And Jesus draws a line this day, and the line is pretty tough. It's drawn to who's in, who's out. Who's committed because I'm a revolutionist and I need radical people to think the way that I think and have decided that they're all in or they need to go their other way. And this is the way that he is teaching. And it was tough for the disciples because, I mean, like, are you going to leave too? And Peter is like... I don't know, but where else are we going to go? I mean, you have the words of life, and we've seen you do miracles, but Jesus, you're freaking us out a little bit today. John chapter 6, verse 64, it says, But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who would believe and who wouldn't basically. And this is why I told you that no one comes to the father unless it is granted to him. It really like this this Jesus saying it really requires something beyond just an intellectual knowledge. Because one of the things that we learn when we read the Bible is in James He tells us, and this is a pretty radical thought too, but don't you know that even the demons believe and shudder? And what he's trying to help us understand is that you can believe in the Son of Man. You can believe that he is God's Son. That doesn't mean anything in and of itself. That's just an intellectual understanding that you know that he exists. But even Satan knows he exists. And it has to be something more than emotional, too. If all you're looking for is some kind of emotional high every time you come into a room, then are you following Jesus or are you just following an emotion or something? I don't know. I'm excited, by the way. I need to talk for myself for a second because I'm so busy here trying to to talk for God. I'm excited about our attendance, by the way. This is this is a good attendance for us, and I don't I don't you know as a preacher I want to be careful because I don't I don't want to say anything that would not uh, go over okay. <laughs> I know it doesn't sound like it today. It's not my fault, okay. But I I want to greet you warmly. I want to smile when I see you. I want you to feel. And embraced by me. Because the last thing I would want to do is anything that I am to turn you away and not come to be a part of our fellowship. But for whatever reason, Jesus doesn't have that same feeling. It's like Jesus knows whom's in the room. And he already knows who is his and who is not. And he already knows how to draw the ones he wants. And he already knows how to scatter the ones that he doesn't. But that's because he knows, and I don't know. He already knows Judas, who's been following him around for about three years, give or take a day. He already knows that this is going to end poorly for him. The question then is just this. Do they know? Did did they know? Or maybe a question for us is, do we know? And this is my honest thought on that is, no, they didn't know. And the only reason I say that is because the disciples were convinced that they were not going to betray Jesus either. And yet Jesus also told them that the night that the Son of Man is betrayed, you will betray the Son of Man. And he turned and Peter said, well, let me just read it to you. And John, I mean, Mark chapter 14, verse 26, it says, And when they had sung a hymn, they went upon a Mount of Olives. Remember that mountain I was just telling you about looking down? And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter said to them, even though they fall away, you know, the other disciples, there's no chance that I'm going to. I'm in this for the long haul, Jesus. And Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, You will deny me three times. And he said emphatically, If I must die with you, this is Peter talking, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. So they were convinced that there was no way that they were not going to be all in. I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ when I was 21 years old. That's when I literally realized that he wanted radical discipleship, that he wanted me to just leave everything if that's what it took. Leave my mom, my dad. I wasn't married yet. Didn't have kids yet. But I understood that it was a radical decision, that there was no holding back. That means step away from friends if I need to step away from friends, step away from music if I need to step away from music, step away from sex if I need to step away. And actually, I had to do all of that. But I knew that that's what he wanted, that's what he was calling. And at 21, I did. I was all in. Now, what do I go do? I ended up at Ozark. You don't have to end up at Ozark to be all in. But that's where I ended up two months after I made that radical decision. And now I'm just praying, Lord, keep me. Do not let me slide. Do not let me fall away. Because I do know that you could make that decision and you could change your course or your path. Because it's just, yeah, this is too much. This is too radical. Why did the disciples fall away? It's not because they were not all in. Because I truly believe that they were all in. Here's what I think that happened with the disciples. They had their faith in a living person. A living, living, flesh-living, earthly-living person. And they were all in. This radical person that they found and doing miracles and doing all this thing, they were all in. But they had their own vision of what that all meant. You know, like they thought that that meant let's go to Jerusalem and take over. And that meant probably some of us were going to die by the sword because we were going to kill by the sword. But we were going to be revolutionists just like Jesus, following him to whatever he had in store. But when they get there, all of a sudden, this guy just kind of lays himself down, just kind of offers himself up. The reason we know this is because in the Garden of Gethsemane, when they came after him, they thought the time had come. One of them grabbed a sword, cut off the ear of this soldier. They thought the time had come. And Jesus is like, no, stop. Puts the ear back on the guy's head and just surrenders without any effort. Would that not have confused them? When all of a sudden they they were just like, what is going on? Maybe he's going to break out. Maybe he's going to do something really big, big old miracle thing going to happen. Didn't happen. Next thing they know, they see this Jesus, this radical person that they were given their lives for, being hung on a cross, killed, tortured, speared through the side, taken down, put in a grave. All is done. And now they're all scared. And Now they're all hiding. Now they're all betraying. They're all confessing that they didn't know him. Because they were following an earthly person. A person with flesh and bones. But when he came back to life, this is the resurrection part, all of a sudden they realized that, ah, this is what he meant. It's not that the radical calling wasn't important still, but now it's all different. Now we are following not a fleshly person, now we're following an eternal person an eternal God. And he's still calling for radical behavior. He's still calling for this. And so now the disciples are like intensely step it up a notch. Now they're boldly just proclaiming and they're just going everywhere, causing all kinds of trouble, not on purpose, but just what they are saying is causing, stirring up trouble just like Jesus did. He wasn't trying to stir up trouble on purpose. He was just telling them the truth and the truth was getting him in trouble. And now that's what they're doing too. And every one of them, eventually, besides one that we know of, were eventually killed in some way, either by the sword, crucifixion, or, or just tr- terribly treated for what they believed. Why? Because they're a radical revolutionists who are following a revolutionist. This is what Jesus is expecting. This is why he had this conversation with them in John chapter 6. How do you know that you get this? And that's really the only thing that matters at this really moment right here is this like what do you get? How do you know that you're included? How do you know you're going to be a part of this? How do you know that the resurrection is going to have any effect on you whatsoever? And save you from your sins. And keep you from damnation. Keep you from being an enemy of God. Because that's what he calls us before we are connected with this Jesus who was killed and crucified and was a sacrifice for us. It's open for everybody. But not everybody chooses it. What kind of person did Jesus need for his followers? I don't know. Have you ever thought about the, the list, like who he chose? He chose a Mary Magdalene, a prostitute. Why would he do that? It wasn't that what she did it said she was willing to answer the call, is all. And because she was willing to answer the call and become radical and, get, and be all in, he was able to use then a prostitute to move his movement and his kingdom. And that's kind of handy to have a prostitute because now you have an, an in for all the other prostitutes around. And so she was able to be radical in meeting people. And there were some people that would have looked at that and be like, I'm not a prostitute, but I'm definitely an outcast. Maybe there's a place for me. I mean, there was, there was this guy, he was a tax collector. He was a Jewish tax collector and, and basically betrayed his people and was a crook because that's what most tax collectors were. Or at least he was known for that. Let's just say that. Why would Jesus call him? I don't know, but it's pretty handy when he become radical because it all of a sudden gave Jesus an opportunity for his movement to get into that area of tax collecting and sinners and people who fit the bill. And he chose fishermen, which would have just really been a common job. He chose stubborn people. Boy, was Peter Stubborn. (laughs) And none of that would have mattered, and it wouldn't have helped Jesus in one bit unless they were radical. So the point I'm trying to make is the only thing he's looking for is just radical people. He doesn't care what you do, what you've done, or or where you've been. The only thing he cares about is radical following, commitment. So you could be like the, the head of whoever, you could be in charge of whatever. But that don't mean anything. It don't mean anything if you're the President of the United States and not radically following Jesus. It's not helping Jesus any? It's not helping the movement any? And Jesus doesn't have any use for that. He's offering it. He's offering people to come follow him. And those who follow him will end up being where he is. And where is he, by the way? Well, he's not dead. I'll tell you that. Let me just finish. Remember we talked about the spirit? I'm going to finish with this. I know we need to wrap this up. This is, this is probably the most important thing that I can share with you this morning, and I hope that you will listen for just a moment here. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 30, it says, Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Now, that's pretty important, but that's not near as important what I'm about to share with you. Either, either you're for him or you're against him, but if you're not gathering with him, if you're not trying to accomplish what he came to accomplish, then you're really not for him at all. You're just working against him and what he's trying to accomplish. But here's what's important. It says, therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people. But, in other words, you can be forgiven of anything. It doesn't matter what you've done. That's the whole idea of God's grace and salvation and his sacrifice. If you want to surrender your life to Jesus, he'll take care of all that. But what won't be forgiven is this. But the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, that'll be forgiven. You ever done that before? Spoke against Jesus? Aren't you glad that that's forgiven? I am. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, that won't be forgiven, either in this age or the age to come. Well, what does that mean, Mike? Mike? If Jesus is spirit, if the Holy Spirit is in this place, then that Holy Spirit has just communicated something to you. Not me, the Holy Spirit. And if the Holy Spirit has communicated that Jesus is the Lord, the Son of God, the creator of the universe, and he came down to this earth, if this is what the Holy Spirit has conveyed to you, that he came down to this earth... And he was a sacrifice for you. And he's offering you an opportunity to come follow him. And, but it takes commitment. It takes radical understanding. Uh, it takes understanding what he meant when he says, you're going to have to hate your father and your mother and your wife and your children and all of those people if you want to really come follow me. Hmm. if the Holy Spirit is in this place, then you know what he wants you to do with what I'm telling you today and what he taught in John 6. If the Holy Spirit is in this place, you've got to decide if you're going to deny him And continue to follow your ways or yield to Him and to follow His ways. As long as you deny the Spirit of God, you will have no place in Him. As long as there's something in you that keeps you from being completely in, radical in your commitment to Jesus, making Him above all other things then the best that you are doing is playing Judas in this little story of life. You're just hanging out with the churchy people. And you know where that got him. It got him nowhere. Jesus knows who are his. He already knows. But we don't know. The best that we can do is surrender to him completely, not holding anything back. And that's what the resurrection gives us the ability to do because we know who he is. We know who he is. And the Holy Spirit is here. I believe he's here. And I believe he is convincing us right now who he is. I don't know how big a crowd we're going to have after this conversation. But it really is just an individual dischoice, isn't it? That's what it is. I'm going to pray, and then what we're going to do is Connor's going to come and lead us in communion, and we're going to partake of this juice that represents blood and this bread that represents body, his body. And then Matthew's going to come up and lead us in a song, and that's going to be our decision time. And if the Holy Spirit is in this place, then you will know what you need to do at decision time. It'll be your moment. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this day. This is the most incredible day that we have in the sense of remembrance of what you have done for mankind, what you have done for us. There is no other day that is like this day. Christmas is pretty awesome because it reminds us that Jesus came and how humbly he did come. But none of that would mean anything if it wasn't for this day, this day that we set aside to remember that he is all-powerful. He is God in the flesh, that he conquered death. And because he conquered death, not only does it prove who he was, but it also shows us that we can truly live for something greater than ourselves. Father, I pray that you would call each and every person in this room. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.